My name is Warren Etheridge. If I haven't met you, uh, I go to church here, but I also get to serve as the director of the Baptist Student Ministries to TCU, uh, where, yeah, yeah, there we go. All right. Um, two of you guys like that. That's great. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be here, and I want to give you kind of a really brief update on what's happening across the street on campus, uh, and then we'll jump into finishing up our series on, or not finishing up, but kind of the next link in the chain over Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And so, um, just so you know, we, this has been a weird year, the last 12 months. Uh, I think we've all know that and we've all discovered that. Um, but the BSM's still been busy. We've been trying to reach different pockets of campus. We, there are no large events, as you guys know. And so, one of the campus policies to make sure that students are safe is we want to keep everything to 10 people together or less whether it's on campus, off campus, inside, outside, whatever that looks like. And so to keep students safe, we said, okay, forget everything we've ever planned. Let's launch small group Bible studies all over campus student-led because as a ministry, we want to see leaders rise up um, so that not only do they lead well while they're in our ministry, they can lead well in the churches they're a part of while they're in college. And then when they graduate and we commission them to the ends of the earth that they can serve the church they go to next. Right? And so we want to raise leaders who develop and train leaders to see leaders rise up in churches all over the world. And you guys have heard me say it before, um, but what does it look like for horn frog to look up one day and see horn frogs sent to the ends of the earth? And that's the call for all of us as believers, right? But it's specifically, not the ocean specifically, but specifically, that's our call with TCU students, with horn frogs, that we look up and see them serving the Lord, being obedient to the Lord in all different contexts. And so thank you for being one of our partner churches and one, an amazing friend across the street to TCU. Um, I'm always looking for TCU alumni, anybody else that, that wants to hear about what God's doing across the street, what's God doing through the BSM, um, please reach out to me. For one, I'd love to hear what TCU was like when you were a student, hear how it's changed, hear how it's better, hear how it's worse, whatever you think, I want to hear it. And so if you want to email me at hornedfrogbsm at gmail.com, I would love to sit down. I'll buy your coffee or tea or Coke, whatever you drink. And uh, I'd love to talk about that. So feel free to reach out to me. Um, but this morning, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, and really kind of the examples we have as we live out our faith. And so we're going to turn there in just a second. I'm actually going to pray for us um, and if, have you guys pray for me. And then we're going to jump full force into it because we've got a lot of ground to cover. And I want to make sure I honor your time well, okay? So let's pray for us. God, thank you so much for this time this morning. Thank you for allowing us to read your word, um, to look at the examples um, in, the, in the history of faith of our people, but God, also looking to you to fix our eyes upon you as the example, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, Lord, I pray that we would honor that this morning, that you would be present, and Lord, just that we'd speak um, only what it is that you would have to say. And so now, kind of in a, in a, different, in a different kind of context, would you guys silently pray for a couple different things. Would you pray for yourselves? One, that if there's any distractions, they'd be removed during the next few minutes. Would you pray for the people around you for the same? And then if you don't mind, would you pray for a second just for me, that I would speak what God has asked and, and nothing more, nothing less. God, we bring all these things to you as a grateful people echoing what Matt just said throughout worship, that, Lord, we are not worthy, yet you have invited us in. All right, amen. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, some examples. And as I thought about different examples that I've had in my own life, it was really easy uh, for me to come up with some answers. So a couple weeks ago, 
I had the kind of unique honor and privilege of doing, officiating my first funeral for my great-grandmother. Now, her death wasn't COVID-related or anything like that. My great-grandmother lived to be 105. She was actually a month shy of her 106th birthday. So she was an incredible woman, incredible woman of God. Um, but she was born in 1915. She had five kids, 17 grandkids, 39 great-grandkids, of which I'm one, and then 50 great-grandkids. And if you know my family, my wife Sarah is over here on the front row, you see our two-year-old Wren. She had 50 great-great-grandchildren. And the really unique thing about her, uh, well, there's a lot of... <laughs> There's a lot of unique things about her, one of which is she was a quilter. I mean, she loved to piece together quilts. She loved to spend her time doing that. It kept her hands really active, and she enjoyed that. And every single one of her great-grandkids and her great-grandkids, no, excuse me, her great-grandkids and her great-great-grandkids, that's a lot of greats, each one of them has a quilt from her when they were born including my two-year-old Bryn. So, and now, as she got to about 96, 97, 96 is the year she stopped living by herself, okay? Uh, but when she got 96, 97, she started having her, her daughters help her with the quilts, and she kind of did, did part of the quilt. It wasn't the full quilt anymore. And so I have a picture. Uh, when Bryn was born, we got a quilt from great-grandma. It has a picture of her working on the quilt. And so it's just a really special thing. But she was a really unique lady. She, I told you about her grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-great-grandkids. Um, but she was a hard worker. If you know anything about Texas, and I realize we've got people from around the country that are here this morning, but if you know anything about Texas, my great-grandmother was from Roby, Texas. And if you, know, if you don't know anything about Texas, you probably know just as much about that place as everyone that does know stuff about Texas. Roby is a small cotton field kind of population of people. The next largest town is a town called Rotan, okay, which is like the first town anywhere around it that has more than 100 people in it. Um, and so she grew up there most of her life. She lived on a cotton farm, like cotton farm, cotton fields. Um, and her shack that she kind of lived in most of her life was actually built on top of a rattlesnake den. And so my great-grandmother, um, she would often shoot rattlesnakes, like just no big deal. So much to the point where I'd go with my granddad to help work on shingles on top of her roof after, after wind would blow them around and stuff like that. We'd travel out there, get on the roof, and be hammering shingles, and we would often bring a 22 up with us so that when the shingle work took us to the edge of the roof, we could lean over and shoot rattlesnakes out of her yard because they'd come out the sun about that time. Okay? She lived there for a very long time, just a really hard lady, just a really cool lady. She, she's the only... Uh, person I know that keeps 22 shells in a medicine bottle. Like, that was just what she did. She had medicine bottles, she had 22 shells, her, boom, perfect, together, right? But I have this legacy in my family of really hard workers. And so my great-grandmother was a very hard worker, or my, which led to my granddad, her, her son, being a really hard worker, my mom, her daughter, my mom, his daughter, being a hard worker, which leads to us. I've got this kind of attitude of hardworking, devotion to the Lord, being consistently involved in the community of faith that was in the area. My parents are here, so they can tell you if I'm lying or not. Um, my other family was the same way. I had the privilege of knowing almost every one of my great-grandparents because my parents were younger when they started their family. And so on the other side of my family, we had cattle workers, starting with my great-grandfather and my grandfather and my dad. It was no big deal for us to be up really early on a Saturday morning, either fencing a, fixing a fence or working cattle. And so, but then that side of my family was also very involved in the communities of faith they were part of. So much so that I didn't even know until my great-grandfather's funeral um, that he at one point had taken over kind of pastoring a small church out in the, the rural area. And that was a, a role he filled for some time. 
And so you kind of culminate down to this section of our family history, which like kind of intersects between Sarah and myself and my daughter, Wren. Like we have really good examples to look to, okay? Now, I know that not everyone's family is, is wired that way, but we all have someone we look to as an example, right? Some people have leaders they look to. Some people have teachers. In fact, my wife's an English teacher. I've never heard a teacher talk about what they got into teaching without mentioning another teacher. There was always someone before them that, sh- that made them love it so much, right? Um, not only that, we have friends. We have mentors that we look to and we say, man, I kind of want to live that way or I kind of want to do life like this person. Each one of us has one of those people. And so when we get to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, we've been reading it since Jan- the second Sunday in January, so you know it well by now. We get to this part of the verse, talk about Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith. So without any further ado, we're going to jump right in to Hebrews 12, 3. And I'll go ahead and warn you, we've got some uh, talking points, but they're all kind of together at the end. So when I say, hey, this is the first point, and it's way at the end of the sermon, like don't get alarmed, okay? We're, we're, we're going to get out of here, I promise. So... Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, let's read it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, the last few weeks, we've kind of couched all this under the umbrella of this, the idea of fix our eyes. In a world that's got a lot of distractions and a lot of things going on, how do we fix our eyes to Jesus? And it culminates in this verse right here, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, I'm reading from the ESV today, the English Standard Version, and so it translates the, that first kind of phrase we're looking at, looking to Jesus. Um, another way of rendering that is fixing our eyes or keeping our eyes on Jesus. And so the idea of how do we keep an, a bead on who Jesus is and what he was doing when there are a lot of other voices around. But there's a couple other words I want to talk about in this uh, verse as well, okay? So founder is how the ESV says it. Some other translations are author or originator, or source. Um, Jesus is where our faith begins, what our faith is in, okay? And then not only that, there's this word perfecter, which when you spell it, kind of, you can't, you almost can't say it if you live in Texas without saying, like, perfecter. Like, it kind of comes out kind of like tomato on the the movie Cars, okay? Um, But it's a perfecter, or another translation to that in some versions is completer. Everything kind of comes in full completion with, with Jesus at the center, okay? So if you reread that with those kind of translations in there, um, run, well, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the founder, the author, the completer, the perfecter of our faith. But why would, the, why would the author in Hebrews talk about that? Like why is that important in the rest of the context of this verse? Um, so when you think of the book of Hebrews, the, he- the book of Hebrews was written to an audience of Jewish people who were surrounded by people that believed differently than they did, right? And so they were constantly being told to look to other places as a source of an example of how it needs to be shaped, how do we live our lives. And a lot of it was at this time period, there's this Hellenization of the culture around that. It was becoming more Greek-influenced, right? And so we look at the, the gods of the Greek culture. We look at all these different things. They were constantly be to- being told to look to something that was drastically different 
than the Jesus they had based their faith on so far. So there were all these influences. Everything felt a little bit different. Um, And so the author of Hebrews, we don't know who that is, but he was writing to a Jewish audience, okay, in the midst of a culture that was changing. Um, He spends, this is chapter 12 that we're reading, right? He spends the first 10 chapters of the book establishing the supremacy of Jesus over everything else. Which, when you look at the, like, what was going on around, it kind of makes sense, right? In a world that's being constantly told, like, or that's constantly telling you what needs to be different about how you live, it makes sense that he'd spend his, his best piece of work on the first 10 chapters establishing why Jesus is better than anything else they could imagine. He includes talking about Jesus is better than these angelic hosts that you've been talking about. Like, Jesus is over the angels, so don't try to follow angels. Don't try to follow someone that says that they want to worship just the angels alone. Jesus is over these things. And then he comes over here and says, don't, like, Jesus is better than the Mosaic law. Everything that we've based our life on so far, Jesus comes and fulfills every single part of that. Because these were different beliefs that were coming in to their congregations and telling them to believe differently. And so he spends the first 10 chapters of his book saying why Jesus is better than anything else. But then chapter 11 hits, okay? And we're actually going to read some of chapter 11 this morning. Don't worry. We're not going to read all of chapter 11 because most of you can read. We don't have time for that. But we are going to read a little bit of it in a second. Um, In fact, we're going to start in 1132 here in a second. But I'm going to give you kind of the high points of chapter 11. A lot of us know chapter 11 of Hebrews because it's what we call like the chapter on faith. Some people call it the, the hall of faith with all these different people, the heroes of faith. I've heard it called all these different things before. And it's got a, a long walk through Israel's history of all of the, basically the, the legends of Israel's history, what they did, how they relied on God in the midst of these things, just all these major heroes. So you had guys like Noah who basically, because of his obedience to God, saved and continued humanity in the midst of God wiping out the rest of an evil, evil uh, humanity who was bent on their own selfish desires and everything else. And so not only only does he do that, he's obedient to God when God says, hey, I need you to build a boat. And Noah says, what? What's a boat? It's like, well, it's this. It's going to take a lot of years of your life, but you've got to build it. And he said, because you've got to build it because it's going to rain, it's going to flood. And Noah, they've never seen rain up to this point, so it's like, "Uh, what's that like? Well, rain comes from the, like water comes from the sky. It's going to be awful. The whole world's going to flood. And so Noah doesn't bat an eye. Even when the the whole world makes fun of him, he builds a boat. He's obedient to the Lord and saves humanity, right? Then you had Abraham who uprooted his whole life because God told him to go. And he said, I will make with you a promise that if you will be my people, I will be your God. And you will have no others before me. And through your family line, there will be a blessing to all nations. And so Abraham uproots his family. Like the only thing that has any kind of signs of wealth is having an establishment at that point, And he uproots it all to do exactly what God says. And then you kind of walk through Abraham's children. And you've got Isaac. And you've got Jacob. And then you've got Joseph. Joseph, if you'll remember, for those of you that grew up in church or kind of know these stories, Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brother. There's some family dynamic issues there, but we don't have time to talk about that, right? Gets sold into slavery to Egypt by his brothers, and from slavery, he rises to basically second in command of what is becoming the most powerful nation at the time. And he, he ends up, because of a vision from God, saving Egypt from this massive famine that was coming by telling them to prepare for it. And if I can just take like a brief 30-second side note for a second. Um, Joseph is a perfect example, and I keep walking back and forth on this, on the, on this, uh, this podium to like establish a point. But Joseph is a perfect example that when God's people flourish and when God's people s- 
steward leadership well. It's not only God's people that benefit, but everyone connected to God's people, right? Joseph gets put into a place of power, and he doesn't just look out for the Israelites or the people that sold him into slavery. He also looks for this very lost, very secular, very, like, very selfish nation, and they benefit which is why I'm so glad to be a part of this church here who, when they turned 90 and said, we have flourished in this spot for 90 years, what does it look like to give $90,000 away to our community to see them flourish as well? That's what God's people should do. When we're obedient to God, not only do we flourish, the people around us flourish as well. So Joseph leads Pharaoh, leads Egypt to exist throughout the famine. And then that leads to Moses. When one day Egypt looks up, there's a different Pharaoh in place that didn't trust Joseph or his people. He looks up and says, I've got 600,000 of these random Israelites in my nation. Man, how do we, like, let's enslave them. Let's tell them that they cannot exist on their own. Moses comes around and leads God's people out of the nation of Egypt. And they do incredible things. And there's incredible signs by God and incredible things happen. And so chapter 11 covers all these things. And we find ourselves at the last kind of section of chapter 11, verse 32, okay? And we're going to read this and provide a really good on-ramp into 12, 1 through 3 that we just read as well. So we're going to start at 1132, and I'm going to finish us at what we just read a while ago. So give us a better context, okay? So verse 32, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets. A lot of those are in the book of Judges, okay? And the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us that they should not be made perfect. And then here's our verse for today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that surrounded he just mentioned all the heroes of the Israelite faith like all these people have surrounded us and not only that but by so great a cloud of witnesses witnesses being the word that has legal implications meaning that they can testify to the goodness of God the faith that he has given all these men that we are exalting and putting on a pedestal in chapter 11 like they can testify to God's goodness in that since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So even though he just mentioned all these heroes that little, like the Jewish um, children would have grown up hearing about and being exalted, when it comes down to it, he says, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So even in the midst of all these different things, um, Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the standard. Everything else falls short. And the reason I say that is if you go back and look, um, each one of those people is flawed. Each one of those legends that is listed in chapter 11 are flawed 
human beings. I love how, I, I almost want to say it was a year ago, I love how Jeremiah puts it in Genesis 3 when sin is introduced into the biblical narrative. Um, Jeremiah said it, I'm going to kind of summarize what he said, but Adam, there's a point where Adam and Eve decide that they know better than God what's good for them. And there's this introduction of sin. And so each one of these people he lists has some terrible sin in their life, something that was really difficult, something that was outside the obedience to the Lord. So for example, Abraham, that first guy we, that we talked about, man, God tells him he's gonna be a great nation, he's gonna have as many children as the stars above, but he rushes it. He chooses what's temporary over what's eternal, okay? And so he tries to figure out his own way to have a child before it happens. Jacob, kind of in that line, Jacob steals the birthright from Esau. And Jacob, like, not only is he kind of impulsive, he's also very cowardly. So he kind of has this rift between him and Esau, his brother. Uh, Esau, on the other hand, like passes up his family birthright, which would later lead to the Savior coming through his family. Passes that, trades it for a bowl of lentil stew. You want to talk about trading the temporary for what's eternal? There it is right there. Okay, but then Jacob continues to make mistake after mistake where it distances himself from anybody else around him. So much so that when Esau comes to him, he's afraid Esau's going to be mad, tries to hide from him, hide all of his like people from him. And then when Esau meets him with love and grace, Esau says, come back with me. He says, give me two days. And then Jacob never goes. And he further provides this rift, right? So Jacob steals his birthright. Moses has anger issues um, several times throughout. And I get it. Like if you were leading a people out of Egypt that just saw God do all these things, and then the first thing they say is, man, I really wish we'd rather been in slavery than all these things happen. Or, man, I'm hungry. And God rains bread from the sky, and they say, man, I was hungry, but really for meat, and so God provides all these dove, and then they say, man, this is walking is difficult, and so God leads them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and they're like, man, this is awful. I really wish we were still in slavery. I would probably get upset too, but Moses is impulsive in his anger. He continues to make angry moves constantly as a leader of Israel. Um, David, King David, has lust issues, and we know all about those. Samson, one of the Judges, in the book of Judges, has lust issues. So major um, that he's got a girlfriend that continues to try to sell him to his enemies. And I don't know what kind of friends that you have. I don't know if Samson has any, because at one point, I think they should have stepped in here and been like, hey man, I don't know if this is a good idea. And I don't know what that conversation was like or if it happened, but he continued to walk in sin and give in to the lust that he had, so much so that it gets him captured and killed, but not before he's obedient to the Lord. But the whole book of Judges is God's people um, forgetting who God is, living on their own, moving into enslavement and this entrapment or oppression, crying out to God, God raising up a person like Samson or any of the other people that he mentioned, and through that person leads them into freedom. And the problem with Judges is it just keeps repeating itself over and over again. But the beautiful thing about all of chapter 11 is each one of those people is a foreshadowing of the Jesus to come the foreshadowing of the author and perfecter of our faith, where there is no fault. And so when we kind of take that cycle and come to the New Testament, where it's no longer a physical oppression, it's, it's a spiritual one, where enslavement to sin is the biggest slavery um, that God's people wrestle with. And so all of a sudden, Jesus, just like the judges of old, is raised up. And because he lived the perfect life, he could take the sin, the imperfection, the idea that I think I know better than God what's good for me, that whole concept, and Jesus dies the death that that deserves. And through a relationship with him, we get to walk in spiritual freedom, worshiping the Lord with a relationship with God. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he fulfills all those things. Um, Jesus is the standard. Everything else 
fall short. But sometimes in desperations, we try to find new heroes of the faith, someone who's more culturally relevant or feels more like us, okay? Jesus is the standard. Everything else falls short, including everyone listed in chapter 11. That's why 12, 1 through 3 comes after it, okay, as a cloud of witnesses. But that moves us to our second point. As people look for a new hero of the faith, um, our lives have to look to Jesus and to nothing else. Because out of a need for relevancy, we will look to people that are more attainable or easier to follow than Jesus. Because what Jesus calls us to is difficult, right? To resist the world around us, to look different than the people, what people say is okay. Um, We'll look to celebrities. We'll look to athletes. Jeremiah covered a couple weeks ago, what's it look like to look to politicians and how that can become corrupted. And he did a really great job of that. Sometimes we'll look to anybody famous, and here's where sin comes in, and exalt them to a status that they shouldn't have. Man, it's like celebrity pastors and worship ministers can do this well. If you Google uh, celebrity pastor fall, man, you have too many results. Okay, one result would be too many, but there's a lot of results. And what happens is we elevate someone, um, we, we take a flawed human, and we elevate them to a godlike status, and we connect them to Jesus and the Savior so closely that his fall um, places doubt about the God that he's been linked to. Okay, and we could talk about celebrity pastors, athletes, politicians. We could use any kind of context there, and it still remains the same. Now, I'm not saying that you don't look to examples um, of people and say, man, they did this really well. I want to be like them. That's really true. But when you do that, look to people whose eyes are fixed on Jesus. Okay, back to that phrase that's kind of the umbrella for us. When we look to our examples and people to follow, make sure that they're looking to Jesus and not to something else. Because when we exalt flawed humans to a godlike status, their fall plates doubts, or places doubts about the God they serve. Um, Jeremiah said it really best um, a couple weeks ago when we talked about politics. When we hitch the gospel to anything else, it doesn't strengthen the gospel or make it more relevant. It only makes it weaker. The way he said it was when two different things have a baby, it's neither one of its parents, Right? And so if you think of a chain, a chain that makes a circle, the, that chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So my undergraduate degree is in biomedical science. Like I spent a lot of time in a chemistry lab, for better or for worse, okay, depending on the way you look at it. Um, I know really well that when you take a pure substance that has no fault or no um, impurities in it, to use that term, and you mix it with something else, it will always be weaker. Always. What you get as a result of that is always weaker, no matter how pure the substance was to begin with. And we do that all the time with the gospel. We take the gospel with no failing of its own. We take the story of Jesus, perfect, um, fully God, fully man, and we connect him to something weaker. Or we hitch our train to something weaker, right? And then when it fails, we're really surprised. And so our lives have to look to Jesus and to nothing else. So kind of in closing, we've got one more point to talk about. Um, but I get the privilege as, as a BSM director um, to go on mission trips pretty, pretty periodically. Um, it's one of the fun parts of my job. It's, it's one of the things I look forward to the most. I get to take students and go with them. And so uh, one of the trips that we frequently go to is a trip called Beach Reach, where we take students, we go to South Padre Island, um, and we give rides to people to make sure that they physically keep safe and in meeting their physical needs, we get to meet their spiritual needs as well. In fact, we took a team, uh, TCU's first team since I've been here last year. We had a team of 10. I think seven of them, six of them, were from UBC. So thank you guys for loving our college students. Thank you for mobilizing them and sending them out to missions. I get to benefit from that. And not only that, people get to benefit from that as well. 
And so we were at, on the island uh, as a college student. We were outside one of uh, the bars. kind of had a rough reputation. People got physically harmed sometime in the bar. And um, so we actually had a, an outpost outside, kind of stationed up to meet people's physical needs, get them rides if they needed them, get them to the medical tent if they needed them. And so we were hanging out there, and this guy came up. And we'll call him John for this morning. John came up. He was like, hey, man, I need a ride. I was like, okay. John was pretty inebriated, like it's kind of average, like typical for this point. Uh, I said, like, all right, John, like, tell me about yourself. We're not doing rides right now, but we can get you hooked up with one. And so John started telling me about his life. It was really cool. And then we inevitably got to this, inevitably, sorry, got to this place where John said, okay, man, why do you do this? Which is a question we get asked a lot, okay? Um, and so I was like, man, well, you know, like Jesus loved me so much that he would die and give his life for me. And so the, out of a love that I could never fathom, because I haven't done anything to deserve that, I can't even kind of wrap my head around it sometimes. And so because of that, I looked up and said, man, where can I help people make sure they're safe? And this looks like a place. And so now I'm talking to you. He's like, oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. Like, that's really cool. And, you know, you just kind of get in the loop. And I was like, yeah, so, I mean, what do you think about that? Because that's, that's where we kind of switch the conversation. And so I was like, well, what do you think about that, man? Does, I mean, what's your spiritual background? You grew up in church? He's like, here's the thing, man. Me and Jesus, real tight. I was like, oh, cool. What's that mean? And so uh, John, John said, well, you know, like, Jesus and I, like, he's just really close. I would, I would say he's, like, my best friend. Like, that's really cool. I was like, oh, do you go to church somewhere? He's like, no, nah, man, I haven't been to church in years. It's just really not about that scene. I was like, oh, okay, that's, I mean, I, I understand that. Um, like, do you have, like, a relationship with Jesus? He went, yeah, me and him, like, talk all the time. I was like, oh, what do you guys talk about? He's like, well, we haven't talked in a couple of years, but I would, he would be, like, my buddy, you know, and he, he, like, likes the things I like, and he's okay when I do these things, even though he disagrees with it. I was like, oh, okay, this is really interesting, man. Uh, and, and so we were getting to that point in conversation, though, uh, where it was time to ask him a little bit harder questions. I said, okay, man, can I, like, would you say that you, do you read the Bible much? He was like, no. I was like, okay. I said, it sounds like the Jesus you're describing, it sounds like the Jesus you're describing sounds more like you than it does the Jesus of the Bible. And he got really sober real quick. And he was like, oh, maybe you're right, man. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, let's talk about that. And so we got to have a really great conversation with it. But as I've gotten older, and as I've done life longer and with more people, man, it doesn't, John's not the only one that does that. There's a lot of times where we will accidentally shape the Jesus we serve to look more like us than the Jesus of the Bible. Which kind of brings us to this question, are we being shaped to look more like Jesus, or are we shaping Jesus in our image? Because our Jesus begins, if we're not careful, if we're not rooted kind of in the Jesus of the Bible, our Jesus begins to look like things that we like. He disagrees with the things that we disagree with. Uh, he doesn't like the people that we don't like. Have you picked up on that? Like, Jesus could never be for that guy, right? We kind of sell the gospel message of salvation. Like, Jesus could never build the bridge to that person. Like, we kind of start talking for Jesus instead of about Jesus, right? Um, and then even he starts to dress like us a little bit, too. And so, like, as a, as a college minister, as as someone that works with the next generation of people in leadership, right? So I love, Jason has this thing where we're, we don't serve as college ministers and youth ministers, like we don't serve the next generation of the church. They are the church right now, but they're the next generation of leaders in the church. And so as someone that has a, a thumb kind of on the pulse of what's going on uh, with the next generation of leaders, man, it is really easy and justifiable to change God to be more relevant. When the reality is, like, Jesus, Jesus has always been relevant because Jesus doesn't, didn't come to be liked. He came to save. The problem of sin is not one that changes 
with cultural context. The problem of sin and imperfection and our separation from God is not one that is dependent on what we define as good and wrong, good and bad. Jesus is always relevant, but in our arrogance, sometimes subtle, we will actually shape Jesus to look more like us instead of, the, of Jesus in the Bible. And my biggest fear as a college minister, as someone that works with churches, as a follower of Christ, is that one day we will look up and we have spent so much time serving a Jesus that looks more like us. So much to the point where we stand before heaven and the God that we answer to isn't one that we ever thought. And so as I read the word, one of the questions I'm always asking is am I shaping this to read how I want it to or am I coming to the Bible to be shaped by it? The same thing could be said of Jesus. And so as we kind of summarize today, Hebrews 12, one through three, specifically the, the verse that we read in verse two, as we look to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, um, is he the standard in our life? Everything else falls short, so is he the standard? Um, are we looking to Jesus and to nothing else? Or are we looking to Jesus and something? Are we linking perfection up to something that's imperfect? And then last but not least, are we being shaped to look more like Jesus or are we shaping Jesus to look more like us? And so as I pray for us, as we send out, let's, let's think about those and chew on those things and then make sure that the Jesus we are following is the Jesus of the Bible, that we look to the founder and perfecter of our faith. So let me pray for us. God, we come before you knowing that we always look to examples and I pray that your example would be the one that we seek out. God, I pray that we would surround ourselves with people um, that are honoring of you um, and that out of an overflow of what it is that you've done for us, out of an overflow of your goodness, out of an overflow of your perfection, Lord, that we would go out, that we'd be sent out to the people around us. That just like Joseph, as your people flourish and are in places of leadership, that you would help the people around us to flourish as well. God, I pray that when we come and when we worship you, Lord, that we would recognize where we read into it our own ideas, where we shape you into our image instead of the other way around. God, the world has enough broken human beings in it. It doesn't need more of me. So God, help our lives to be shaped by you and by nothing else as we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.